So we've been following, obviously, all month long, uh, everything that's been going on in Israel with the war with Hamas. And we have a couple of updates. We want to bring in a political professor from Hillsdale College, Adam Carrington, is with us on the phone. Good morning, Adam. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So let's uh, let's talk about the latest that's happening in Israel. Can you break down for us? Uh, I, I, I saw this morning a couple more hostages have been released, correct? Yes, uh, two more in addition to the two that had been released before. Uh, there was an attempt to get a group of 50 um, released, but that was hung up based on what kind of uh, supplies were uh, going to be given in exchange for it. So still there's more than 200 left out. But a couple have been released. Why are we seeing like th- this very slow trickle of of the release of hostages? I think it's because Gaza, well, that Hamas is very worried about the what Israel is going to do going forward, because Israel has said basically, given the atrocities that happened, the. Uh, end of a Hamas as a ruling element in Gaza needs to be the, the final marker. And I think they see the hostages as a way of at least putting that off or trying to change the conversation or doing something to keep uh, the, the ground war that seems to be uh, uh, almost inevitable from maybe happening later. So I think that's why it's happened, why that's taking so long and why you haven't seen mass release of the hostages. They think that's maybe one of their best cards in their deck for uh, uh, fighting back right now. Have you been surprised uh, personally by the response here in the U.S. uh, by the international community? I've been surprised at the level of, there have been, I should say first, there's a few moments I've been pleasantly surprised. Uh, I thought President Biden uh, uh, rare moment of rising to the occasion in how he was critical of Hamas. But I think that in general, there's been a lot of disappointing elements where um, the, the especially on campuses uh, around, the, around the United States and uh, among some of our elites, the, uh, the uh, attempt to uh, conflate what was done by Hamas uh, the targeting of women and children, uh, the brutality of it, with uh, a lot of Israel's attempts, which, while not perfect, uh, are uh, really attempts to maintain their own borders, maintain their own sovereignty, protect their citizens. Uh, and so I think that the what you've really seen is one of the oldest um, uh, uh, hatreds in the world, which is against a, a sort of anti-Semitism still exists, and it exists uh, especially on, on, uh, among parts of, uh, on college campuses and other things. So I think that's been one of my, uh, one of my surprises is just how, how willing people are to voice that and how there's more of it out there than maybe uh, previously thought. Yeah, what did what has it been like in your classroom uh, with you being, you know, a political professor at, at Hillsdale College you know, have you been speaking with students and and trying to, you know, have that conversation of of what's happening? You know, the history of this in Israel, stuff like that. 
Yes. And I will say my students have largely been, I think, pretty measured. I mean, they're worried. They don't want a full out war across different countries. They're, they're worried about making sure the U.S. response is not, uh, doesn't drag us too far into those things. But also they've been very, very sensible about what, what, what Israel needs to do to protect itself as well. And so I've been having conversations also with them trying to just understand how is Israel's political system different than ours, and how might that be playing into the decisions they're making? But also just the question of we, how do countries interact with each other, and how do we balance an, an idea of what's just and right with also protecting our own interests? And seeing that uh, Israel is having to make its own calculations on that, and, and that the United States needs to in relation to it. So, um, I certainly don't didn't want this to be a good example to help my students think through things with the the tragedy involved, but it has been helpful in 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 getting them some idea of of you know just what a a rough set of choices one often has to make in the international and foreign policy realm. We're talking with Adam Carrington, uh, professor of politics at Hillsdale College. Got a couple minutes left, Adam. Uh, I, I'm sure you and your students have also been talking about what's been happening uh, with the House of Representatives, or, or should I say, what isn't happening uh, with with the the House of the the Speaker House. Uh, what is the impact of that? How does that impact uh, the U.S.'s ability to help? with the war in Israel and the war in Ukraine when we don't have a speaker? For the moment, it doesn't change a whole lot because there had been funds appropriated for if something like this came up in Israel or some discretionary funds that had remained for Ukraine. But that will not last a whole lot longer. And I think uh, you know people remember the budget standoff that happened and almost turned into a shutdown. Uh, just a few weeks ago, well, they only passed a, a temporary extension that goes into the middle of next month, November. And there's no capacity to do anything concrete on long term on um, Israel, Ukraine, or on just the broader passing of a budget if you don't have uh, the head of the House of Representatives. The way that their rules are set up, no real <laughs> legislation can be passed uh, to make uh, to, to fund the government to do any of these other things. So uh, for the moment, there's a, a moment of, of it not immediately affecting, but long term it will. And as long as you don't have uh, a head of, of the House to be part of the negotiations with the Senate and the president, you're also making it harder once those things start up uh, to get going. So, you know, the fundamental task of the House of Representatives, I'm always pushing this with my students, is legislate. They're the legislative branch of the U.S. Constitution, and they cannot do their fundamental job right now as long as they don't have a Speaker of the House, given the way they've set up their own rules. And there are, what, nine now uh, looking to become Speaker of the House? Are, are there any leading candidates? Uh, one did drop out last night, so we're, we're, we're up to eight, although it's hard to keep up with these things. <laughs> uh, we have eight. Um, uh, uh, Tom Emmer from uh, Minnesota, who's the number three Republican by rank. Uh, the first two, obviously, uh, being uh, voted uh, not voted in. Um, he's probably, if you could say, there's a leading contender at him, but 
he's running into the same problems that the previous ones did, which is you have a very narrow House coalition. They have almost no votes to spare. And you have a very, uh, very deep division. And, and some of them are policy, but to be honest, some of them are personal and personality-based. And so the hope is they're basically locking themselves in a room all day today, Tuesday, and going to keep voting until they hopefully come up with a consensus candidate. Uh, some people are more uh, uh, think that there's a better chance of that, some, some worse. But that's where we stand. And I think if, if they're going to be a responsible governing party, they need to find some way to find a candidate that they can all live with that will make the kind of deals and, and, and have the kind of principles that can unite the party, at least for now. Uh, but we'll see if they have that, that ability today as they try to hash this out. Adam Carrington, professor of politics at Hillsdale College with us here on WPTF. Thanks so much, Adam. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, to, thanks to have, for having me.